The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend listening after you've already seen the movie in question, but we're not your boss. Do what you like. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. Because we figured, you know, why not? Hope you enjoy the show. He's actually retired. Uh, oh, I got it. There's only a couple, like, lawyers or judges whose names I even know, because I don't care that much, but he's one of them, so it's pretty sweet. That is, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, how about the, so you made two friends though? Yeah, kind of, um, I mean, first week, so. Yeah, well, I got, I got, I was talking with two girls long enough, they liked me enough, they gave me their phone numbers to talk more later. I think that's how making friends go, I'm not sure. That's pretty cool. But I think it counts. That's not a bad start to the week. Yeah. Well, are you done with orientation at least? Yeah, the next day I have to show up as classes, although there's something going on with, like, mentor events on Saturday that I might show up to. So you have mentor events coming up, I'm guessing, next week? Uh, tomorrow. Oh. Um, if I want to go, but I might not, because... I don't know how handy that's gonna be. Yeah. Have you had just like a full... Have you had just like a full week of this orientation stuff? Yeah, and I I keep going these optional things that keep just being really redundant with what they're doing anyway. Yeah. Or I could say it's a leg up, but it's not. It's saying the same thing they said anyway, again. Uh, or two days earlier, which doesn't really matter. So, 
Your orientation feels a little bit much when you're not in your 20s. Or like early 20s specifically. Like I remember doing orientation. I had to go to an orientation event that they were holding for people in that area. And it just, it felt like a waste of time. The only thing that was worthwhile there was uh, registering for classes. But since I just was in a room with like, tw like 20 other people and one person kind of guiding us along what we needed, I ended up taking a class that I didn't need. Like, I signed up for intro literature because I'm like, well, I'm an English major, that's gonna be awesome. But I wasn't talking to a counselor or anything, so I was just like, took it. And then after my first semester there, they were like, why did you take this? I'm like, I thought I needed it. Like, no, you're an English major. You told me to. It's like, well, thanks, guys. No, it's the same. It's the same here. Like, I don't want to be too much of a snob, but I did, I did get to, like, I'm sure it's useful for someone, but I'm 60 years old. I've been in school <laughs> all of that time. I've, I've, I've already flunked out three careers. I need none of this and uh, they should have uh, just I don't know, separated out the people who were here right from senior year of, of undergrad to us yeah. it's fine it's fine I'm complaining about nothing it's just really boring well, I don't know. What, did you say it was 10 to 10? Uh, 10 to 10 today if I stuck around for everything. I elected not to. Okay. Fair enough, man. That sounds. And because I already made two friends, so. Yeah. So fuck it. Well, shit, man. Well, sounds like you got really all you'll need out of fucking orientation anyways. Kind of familiarize yourself with the area and the campus and then... Oh, well, that, that's the problem. I had to familiarize myself with most of the stuff outside of orientation. So orientation was a lot of this kind of wellness exercises and cultural sensitivity. <laughs> this is how you do homework and stuff. And like, okay, I 
I wanna know where I go to, to, to talk to the guys. And they're like, look it up. So. everything they're warning about is kind of kid stuff as far as research positions and effective writing and uh, quick reading for relevant details stuff goes you know yeah so it'll be fine. It's just a bummer because I don't like the town. Uh, and I don't want to be a lawyer. But other than that, <laughs> <it's> a... <laughs> other than just... that. It's just a bummer because I don't I don't want to do this and I don't want what comes from it. It's just a bummer because my entire life is points of concession to systems that didn't agree to take place in. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Simpsons guy, right? Yeah, Matt Groening. Like a, yeah. I've already watched like three episodes. I I don't know if I would say I love it, but it's it's kind of like equal parts uh, gallivant, Futurama, and. Um, the show Harmon Quest. Interesting. I mean, I, I love Futurama. I liked The Simpsons 200 years ago. Yeah. Um, 
I don't hate it now. It's like, just, yeah. I mean, I haven't watched it. I loved it when I was a kid also, but I haven't watched it in, like, as long as I can remember. Uh, I, I don't want to, no like... If it's because I was a kid or because the seasons were better. Because everyone says the seasons were better, but everyone who says that is approximately my age, too. So I don't know, like, was I just easily impressed when I was 10? Of the or they actually are? Because I feel like you used to have more heart, but I don't know if that's at all fair. I couldn't even say with The Simpsons, but with Futurama, like, they weirdly got some really, like, deep and emotional episodes. Jurassic, Jurassic Park, where he finds his old dog and tries to resurrect it. Yeah, well, they they got they did a weird thing where they started focusing more and more on the the romance aspect, mm-hmm. where they like it sort of the office thing, except it kind of worked better on Futurama. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, especially well because they did that, uh, they sort of. The most, like, heartfelt romance one, I think, was one of the movies they did before they got picked back up by Comedy Central? Or Cartoon Network? One of, whichever one picked them up, I'm not sure. No. But, um, Disenchantment is pretty fun. I don't like it as much as I liked Futurama, but I think it could get there. It's it's just its jokes aren't quite as funny, but it's grabbed me a few times, and so far I'm enjoying it. I think I think you would like it as. Uh, like a quick, easy downtime show. It's kind of similar to Galavant, except Galavant was like 22 minutes an episode. This is like 36. So it runs a little bit long. I feel like if it was cut shorter, I would like it more, but it's pretty fun. What's on my to check out list? Yeah, uh, I didn't know it was on Netflix, so that's convenient. Yeah, it, it just came out, like, uh, today, actually. But I started watching it at, like, midnight last night. <laughs> so, like, the moment it was out, you were on it? Well, I saw, I had been watching some of the, because they keep, advertising it to me on Facebook and I've watched some of the ads for it. I was like, okay, this looks kind of funny and I like the guy who does it. 
And then last night, after I I smoked a cigar and finished my writing, I was like, I just kind of want to sit back and eat a scone and watch a show. It was was pretty worthwhile. Well, it's on my list. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. If I want to make fun of you for liking it. <laughs> Speaking of which... <laughs> Should we jump into uh, Labyrinth? I feel like that's a decent segue. Uh, but I don't know. Let's go yeah, for it. Let's. Okay, uh, w- welcome back to Matinee Manatees, the internet's only podcast discussing movies and or the, mu- the movie industry. I'm Ben. Uh, I'm Tony. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And we watched Labyrinth from 1986, which is what you, the patrons, decided on, on our poll that actually worked uh, once I figured out how to do it, which was two months after I announced I was going to do a poll. <laughs> <laughs> Beating out the Dark Crystal and Witches, and I should have put Legend on there, but I did not at all. Wait, (laughs) there's a movie of Witches? I just knew it was a graphic novel. Yeah, The Witches. It was starring, uh... Hold on. Oh. Which is, yeah, Angelica Houston, My Zetterling, uh, 1990. She was the spooky, like, had the, had the... I don't know if it was Jim Henson, but I feel like it was. It looks like his style. It had a spooky face under her face. I think, like, Mr. Bean was in it in some capacity. I don't think I've ever seen this, though. Well, it didn't win the poll, so we can't <laughs> ever watch it. That's the rule. Uh, oh, I guess I'll never see it. <laughs> Sorry? I said I guess I'll never see it now. Nope, it's gone forever. <laughs> Labyrinth was directed by Jim Henson, one of the very few movies that were. 
and produced by George Lucas, which explains a couple of things. <laughs> um, wait, no, hold on. First, okay, step back. First, I want to give a shout out to Brittany Garisa? Garcia. It's it's spelled with the R, then the I, then CA. I've never heard that before. I don't know if it's Garisa or Garika. Brittany Garika is our newest patron. Um, thank you very much for that. You make the show possible, and we're now donating a steady amount, it's not a lot, but it'll grow, uh, to actual manatee habitat preservation, and should be having donor gifts coming in in about three months of this rate. So that's really cool, and thank you guys for doing that, it lets us keep on doing this. And uh, if you're interested, you can become a patron yourself at patreon.com slash manatees. Uh, for as little as one dollar a month. Um, or you don't have to at all. It's free. I just hope you enjoy it. But that does help if you can. Once again, thanks, Brittany Garika or Garisa or uh, Typo Garcia. <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't know how to pronounce your name off the top of my head, but you also get a shout out four times longer than other people's because I'm messing it up three-fourths of the time. <laughs> so there's that. And thank you so much. It's, uh... It feels cool to be able to deliver on the premise of the show. Yeah! And she has a message, I haven't received it yet, but uh, she could appear on two episodes because she's entitled to a shout out and a red message. Cool. Okay. Um, Labyrinth. 1986, directed by Jim Henson, produced by George Lucas. Starring David Bowie. Y'all know who David Bowie is. Uh, Soccer player. Probably. (laughs) He can do everything. He was in The Prestige, he was in Zoolander, he was in The Hunger, he 
send the man who fell to earth. He's much more famous as a musician. Uh, he's in everything you've ever heard that has to do with going to space and sort of 70s-ish. I just love him. He's dead as of like two years ago. It actually bummed me out a whole lot. He's great. Now, do you love him in this? Yes, I love him in everything. Okay. Why would you even ask that? <laughs> because I was really shocked to find that I didn't. I did, I did think it was pretty unprofessional of him to, cause I mean, everyone else is, is going out and wearing all these costumes and doing these special <laughs> effects. I thought it was pretty unprofessional that he just showed up in his street clothes and had them film him. Uh, <laughs> I guess he's David Bowie, he gets to do that if he wants to, but I just thought, like, you know, everyone around you is putting in a lot of effort to look different. Um, <laughs> But, no, so, it's fine. A little lazy, but good performance. <laughs> uh, also starring Jennifer Connelly, more famous from Wrecking for a Dream, A Beautiful Mind, Dark City, The Rocketeer, several dozen things. Or if you've only started watching movies the last, like, couple of years, she's the voice of Spider-Man suit. What? No way she is! Isn't she? I think you might be right, but I didn't even realize. Well, let me verify that just in case I'm lying. I, I do that only ever unintentionally or for humorous effect or intentionally mess with people or um, various other reasons. Nope, Spider-Man Homecoming. She's Karen slash Super. Yeah. Only as a voice. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Well, good for yeah. her. She's good. Um, has various other people in mostly voice capacities. Uh, two people played her parents. I don't know who they are. Y you know. Other people are involved in making this movie. Uh, they got Keith Richards, uh, to play Hoggle, near as I can tell. That was cool. 
such a flop that it bummed Jim Henson right out of directing, period. It's the last one he did. The budget was $25 million and it only grossed $12.5 million. Uh, and I think that's not even counting advertisement or whatever else goes into making movies, though I'm never actually sure of those figures. But, even though it was a commercial flop, it ranks 7.4 on IMDb, has a tomato meter score of 68%, but an audience appreciation score of 86%. And I bet has made that back since then as just a weird cult movie that everyone gets on DVD or whatever, is my assumption. Sounds about right. That's more or less what I suspect at this point. Because, like, everybody knows of Larry. Yeah, and I think most people have seen it at least once. Yeah. Uh, whether they like it or not. And then David Bowie, I, I think, is the main part of this movie, especially because they use a lot of his other songs where they're not even appropriate, just as most of the soundtrack. But they also considered Michael Jackson, Sting, and Prince before selling on David Bowie. So, so they were going to be a pop star. Yeah, so they were looking for that specifically. I mean, that's a little disappointing to find out, honestly. Uh, yeah. I th I thought 
David Bowie is a really great choice to play the Goblin King. I just wish he was fitting himself into that role more than they wrote the role for him. Uh, that is what happened. I see. I, I felt the opposite. I felt more like the story started to write itself to him, specifically with like the really bad songs and dance numbers. Oh, gotcha. They're really bad dance numbers. The songs themselves were fun, I think. Oh my god, I, I wanted to, like, stick knives in my ears during Dance Magic Dance. I could not even. Well, this is gonna be an issue, Tony. You're <laughs> alone on that one. <laughs> I, I guess? Is Dance Magic Dance a popular song? Uh, uh, I mean, just Google it. See what the first 300 results say. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. The dance, I'll go with you. He's a, he's a fantastic songwriter. Uh, he's a fantastic musician. Not the best choreographer ever. And I'm not sure if that's fair with all his performances, but it wasn't. In those heels and ballet pants, specifically, like, <laughs> wasn't a great, a great amount of dancing going on that worked. But I'll just say, like, I'm glad it was Bowie. I think Prince could have pulled it off. I'll... Maybe. I mean, I can see a kind of similar performance. I have never really been a Prince fan, to be honest. Um, even Bowie stuff, I'm always kind of like... Like, I like specific songs a lot, but I, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself like a Bowie fan. Okay, well, alright, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm building a case here. Um, <laughs> there will be times in the future when me and Tony disagree about music, but he's now on record as saying he doesn't, he's not a Bowie fan, he's not a Prince fan, he doesn't like Dance Magic Dance. That's, well, you know. Hold on, there's a difference. I mean, I'm definitely not a Prince fan. I've tried to get into his music. It just doesn't. I don't connect with it. And Bowie stuff, there's some that I do and some that I don't. The ones that I do connect with, I really like a lot. Listen, uh, where, where are you trying to listen to Prince music? 
Uh, I just looked up his stuff online before. Because you can't... Listen, you need to take your pants off first. Before <laughs> listening to Prince. It's a rule. I'm... I'm serious. Guys, write into the show. Post on the Facebook page. You can't listen to Prince with pants on. It's blasphemous. You can't... Okay. Okay, noted. Noted. Uh, there have been a number of... Uh, not attempts. Uh, talks about rebooting it or doing a sequel to it. Apparently the movie Mirror Mask, which was Neil Gaiman and... Who else? I only know... Oh, wait, wasn't that Neil Gaiman and Jim Henson? Uh, I don't think so. I think Jim Henson was too dead at the time. But, uh... He, he didn't die that long ago, did he? Well, Mirror Mask isn't that old, is it? It's 2005? Oh, I guess, yeah, you're right. Uh, writers for Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean. Directed by Dave McKean. He's done a lot of sort of strange things. He did Neon, he did uh, Luna, he did one of the Harry Potters, but I don't remember which one. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, and he did the Neverwhere. He didn't direct that one, because that was, uh... No, he did the title else. graphics. Sorry, that's different. He, oh, he did <laughs> the art department for all these things. Okay, okay I'll try. He directed... Dawn, The Gospel of Us, Neon, Mirror Mask, and Luna. How do I know about Neon? That's a short. Why do I, why do I have that in my head? I, I, the only one of those I knew of and I haven't seen is Mirror Mask. Well, it was written by Neil Gaiman. It was apparently originally conceived as a sequel to Labyrinth. Um, and they changed their minds halfway through. And just went their own way. Which I think is for the best, because it was too CGI heavy and, and wouldn't have really worked Chill. as a sequel. And now the... Bowie's dead, I don't know how they're going to do a sequel unless they like, they could, listen, they could cast Lady Gaga, she could be a goblin queen, and if you have enough statues of Jareth and say he ascended, That'll satisfy fans, but I think that's the only way out. 
And now he's the Goblin God. That works. That would work. I'd watch it. I'd give it a chance. Actually, I don't know if I would. Because... <laughs> it, like, I, I, as I'm thinking about how they would make that now, especially, like, how they reboot things now, first of all, I don't think you would get Lady Gaga. Or if you did, it would still just be, like, very... I bet you would do it if they asked. I don't know if they would try, but... Yeah, but it, I, I, I... I mean, she's an American I don't think they necessarily write it that well. And also, I think... I think it would be a lot like the... The reboots of Alice in Wonderland, which... I, I haven't seen, but I just was kind of turned off from the trailers and also most of what Tim Burton has done in like the last 20 years but uh yeah I don't know uh, I just watched the new Jumanji which I enjoyed well enough but I just Imagining them rebooting Labyrinth, I just feel like it's gonna suck. And the thing that made Labyrinth cool is all the specifically Jim Henson stuff. And so, like, they're gonna replicate that with. CGI nonsense, which I don't have a problem with CGI, but it's just like, I feel like it's not gonna get the same vision or care that Jim Henson clearly put into this. Well, they, they might or they mightn't, but like Pan's Labyrinth, which was also not a sequel, but yeah, was clearly a similar idea. In both cases, it's a girl who doesn't like her life escaping into imaginary world. In Pan's Labyrinth, it's because Nazis make her life actually difficult. <laughs> and Labyrinth, it's because she's a teenager and they're insufferable. But but the the difference the difference there between Pan's Labyrinth and a possible Labyrinth uh, reboot is Pan's Labyrinth. You have a filmmaker with a specific vision that they want to put to screen. Which is why, whether they're using practical effects or CG, Pan's Labyrinth worked so well. Whereas, if, if, if we end up getting this Labyrinth reboot, maybe there will be someone behind it that really wants to put something out there. But mostly, it seems like it's a studio 
that's like, we want to reboot this property that people recognize and that has some cultural significance or nostalgic factor. I don't know. I, I at least watched the trailer out of curiosity, but when I heard that they were doing a reboot, I was just like, well, I, I don't know if they actually are, are they? I, I, well, I read earlier that, it, that they announced that a reboot was in development. Hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know, but I think if you had taken Pan's Labyrinth and replaced Pan with David Bowie and changed nothing else, it would have fit the same world. This would have been really tonally disparate. <laughs> and a weird-ass sequel. But it's, it's a simple enough premise. The, uh... The retreating into imagination to deal with something. In this case, it's, I think, just like puberty or having to grow up a little bit. It was apparently originally uh, supposed to be somewhat darker, and I keep hearing rumors on the internet that people make up, so I have no idea what it was actually supposed to be originally. But like, coming to terms with like a dead friend or a dead little brother or maybe a dead parent or something uh, was originally what it was going to be about. Well shit, isn't I mean, as you even just described it, I was like, that sound the the whole retreating into imagination to deal with real life and everything is sort of semi-allegorical or even explicitly so like isn't that kind of quintessential like young age 80s movie like isn't that is, well, uh, is that never ending story basically well I mean it's Wizard of Oz basically oh yeah exactly which this was also based on way than that yeah but I'm just saying it's a it's a it's solid enough and tried and true enough that what made Labyrinth different was mostly the presence of Muppets. And David Bowie, just the weird stylistic combination of Muppets and 80s glam rock that they were going for. Yeah. Which might have worked, 
Why not, depending on your personal preferences? I think I liked it a lot better when I was a kid. I tried to watch it about four years ago and literally couldn't finish, so I was pretty worried about this. But then I actually didn't mind it when I sat down to watch it in one go. I... I saw this as a kid, and I have not remembered anything of it except the scene of her in, it's not a tunnel, but it's that drop, basically, and she's surrounded by hands that are holding her up. The and helping hands. Yeah. That's the only, and that's the only thing I, I didn't remember anything more than she was surrounded by hands and they were holding her. That's really all I remember of that scene. I remember David Bowie was in it and that it was called Labyrinth. And there was a labyrinth. <laughs> but I didn't remember anything else. Uh, so when I started rewatching it... was the it, coolest part. Oh, yes. Oh, no, there are a lot of pieces in this. Well, so, when this movie starts, I was like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, not weird in, like, a cool, like, kind of out there way, but just, like, the character is a fucking weirdo. <laughs> from the first scene and before I have a chance to get to know her before she she's not developed beyond the premise which is the premise is a young girl is babysitting her infant brother um, she's annoyed by him, and he's taken by the Goblin King. And she's not developed past that, past that, that simple description before she is in the fucking labyrinth. And so, like, when, that, when the movie got started, I was like, oh, like, are you serious? We're already there? Like... It, the movie is much more concerned with moving on to the next set piece. Uh, sometimes smoothly, sometimes clumsily. And so, as a, as a movie, the story itself doesn't really function very well. And it doesn't really pull you in. You don't really care about the characters but the characters and set pieces are still to this day phenomenal I was really engaged with everything like Jim Henson obviously put he threw everything into this. 
There is so much impressive work that went into building the labyrinth, the sets, the costumes, the puppets, animating them, the costumes. It's very impressive, even to this day, a lot of it. I mean, there's some stuff you can definitely see the seams in a few shots, but by and large, some of the stuff is so visually creative. It's really fires. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Those ones in particular. That scene was a little... I really liked them. I liked the puppets a lot. But the... You could definitely see the green screen. Some of them in the background were kind of blurred, I think. So you could, couldn't tell that they were the same puppet, is my guess. Oh, so there's like some individuality that bothered for two or three of them, then you would notice it wasn't an all of them sort of thing. Yeah, well, because, because I noticed that it seemed like there was only one or two in an actual frame at a time, or, or like, not in the frame, but like, in, in the background that was clearly the green screen, you could see like two. And then in the foreground, which was what was shot last, is the, uh, you could see, like, another two that looked identical, basically. So it's like they used one or two, maybe three puppets, and then just superimpose them over each other to make it look like there's more. Which isn't a bad technique, but it's aged enough that you can tell that's what happened. Gotcha. But it's, I mean, I think it's pretty masterfully done. I definitely I, don't disagree. I appreciate it more now as an adult adult than I did as a younger adult hoping to still be impressed by it like I was as a kid because as a kid it's just a bunch of visuals that I like um, yeah I don't at all mind they don't set up the characters much before they get to the labyrinth because the first eight minutes of this movie are the worst eight minutes of this movie. But that's, that's sort of the problem for me. That's why, like, I was really kind of, like, once this movie got going, I kind of was like, see. Yeah? Like you didn't like Intel it? 
Sorry, you, you you didn't like it once it got going, or you didn't like the beginning? Uh, well, I, I didn't like the beginning, but but it wasn't even just that I didn't like the beginning. Is the beginning I didn't feel like adequately set up the characters so that I could care about premise of the story so once she's in the labyrinth I'm just like I for most of the movie my engagement was that is an awesome set and that is a really great puppet or costume or mix of the two I, I wasn't I was almost never engaged with the actual story itself, which, I mean, the movie is like, what, an hour and a half, pushing two hours, somewhere in there, and I felt, I definitely felt that length. A lot of times it feels like the movie is basically just rushing from one set piece to another and the set pieces are absolutely incredible like i honestly was blown away by some of them um and also recognizing like the things that they would later come to influence that i didn't realize came from this it was very cool but I, I don't care at all about the girl, uh, Sarah, or her. Sarah. Or the kid, uh, Toby. Well, you're not, I mean, it's baby. You can't care about the kid. They're, they're <laughs> ever a thing to be sought after. They're not. He's not gonna have the character. No, no, no. But I mean, we could care about her relationship to the kid. Like, as I described it to uh, a friend who's like, isn't it just she basically gets her her brother kidnapped and then has to go see her home? Like, yeah, kind of, but she's actually pretty adult about it. Like, she's bugged by him and she's just like kind of reciting this play that she's already super into and it, it she's calling on the goblin king and so she does that but she it's very clear she's not actually anticipating a goblin king to come take her brother so when she goes out of the room and he stops crying, she comes back in and he's just gone. She's like, 
Goblin King shows up and he's like, he's in my land. And she's like, well, fuck, I gotta go get him. She just is, it's like, it's like, oh, okay. Well, she's, she's at least a responsible uh, human being. She's like, well, I did not mean for this to happen. I have to go get him now. That's my job. I was like, oh, okay. But I'm just not really, like, engaged with her at all. That's fair. I mean, she's definitely a weirdo. It's a, uh... <laughs> well, like, okay, so... The way this movie starts... Well, it starts with an awful CGI owl, but that was apparently the first CGI animal to ever appear on film. So they just put it in, which is where you can see the first bit of George Lucas's decline. Because uh, why is that there? It looks terrible. They just put it in because they want to show off they could. Uh, that's George Lucas and the direction he's going. This is 86. This is like halfway between Star Wars and the, uh, the prequel trilogy. It makes sense. She's practicing some play in full, like, renaissance garb all by herself in the park. There are no other drama nerds with her. Her dog is, and she seems exasperated that her dog is doing dog stuff, like barking. And her stepmom, when she gets home, even says, like, I wish you would date. I wish you would see yeah. some people. That's, that's what we get for character development there. But it kind of, like, I'm with stepmom on this. The, uh, this is strange. And... Asking her to be home by the time her parents leave at like 8 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, whatever, is not an unreasonable demand to make of a however old she is. How old is she? I think she's explicitly 15. 15, okay. Yeah, like, she's not, they're not saying change the baby, they're not saying do all this, well, presumably, stuff, they're, presumably, if while she's watching him, he shits himself, uh, changing the baby falls under her responsibility. Maybe. But I'm always saying, like, you don't see her 
do anything. You see her exist in the same giant house as the baby and make sure he doesn't, like, die. That's... Like, he's, he's pretty verbal. She's not even having to, like, engage with him. It's not... It's easy babysitting, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. And she wasn't doing anything except reciting this play by herself in a costume in the park. Which it seems like she does all the time. <laughs> this play uh, it, it, and like dude like she's she's LARPing by herself yeah and if any of our listeners do that I do not mean to shame you but it is that she can't find anyone to do this with her and apparently doesn't want to seems like yeah because even her her stepmom is like You wanna go do stuff? By all means, go do stuff. I would love for you to go out on dates and be a young kid. And then she's like, now I hate you and sort of and the stepmom's like, she treats me like a wicked stepmom, but I thought that was pretty rad. That her mom said it mean? Or that she Recognized that she's, she's a wicked steps. No, uh, she. She says to her dad. Yeah. She says to the dad, she's like, she treats me like I'm a wicked stepmom, but. Like. We haven't seen her be anything but, like, pretty understanding, and also, like, Expecting, not expecting too much. She's like, hey, we're on our way out. You knew this. We're just waiting for you to get here so we can leave. And yeah, and then she has that thing where she, like, her father, who's a non character, sort of all talk to her. Yeah. And She's like, leave me alone. He's like, well, I'm leaving you alone. And she's like, oh, so you didn't want to talk to me. And it's, this girl's not arguing in good faith. Um, there's very little to do with her except ignore her, it seems like. 
but I'm not a parent, so I don't know if that's true. But it seems like. So, the beginning of the movie is introducing a character that we have no reason to like, who doesn't really seem reasonable. We don't really know what motivates her. We know she likes this one particular play, or that she's working on it, but we have no idea what for. Like, it's not like, if we had seen her with other cast members practicing this, uh, engaging with them, we might have gotten some sense of her character, why this matters to her, or that she just really loves theater. But I don't know, does she just really love theater? Does she really just love this one play? I, I don't know what her deal is. It is difficult to determine. Uh, the entire, I mean, she can't be an admirable protagonist because the entire movie is about her starting out as a bratty child and then having an allegory where she has to leave behind childish things and become a functioning youth. Yeah. Where she can't be the baby anymore because there's literally a baby in the house and she's like gonna be driving next year so if she wasn't pretty unhinged it wouldn't well no I, I mean I disagree because I think if we had seen her with friends we we can still she can still be irresponsible and just young and impetuous but we can still see her with her friends and get a sense of her character before then. I mean, because she doesn't, she comes off as a little crazy or a little weird, but not irresponsible. Because she gets there, she watches the kid, and then like she makes an offhand kind of joke like i want the goblin king to come get you i mean she recites it through fucking reciting the actual play well, but she also she's not a great babysitter because this kid's crying when when kids that age are crying, they want one of three things. It's just attention or food or they've pooped or they want to sleep. She's been like, what do you want, Toby? A story? And like, he can't. 
He doesn't speak English. That's not what he wants. <laughs> She's but not I mean, the best. But I mean, because the whole thing is framed as this is her fault. And so she's got to take care of it. But it's like... Yeah. Uh, well, it, yeah. it is. It's just uh, not something she could have had reasonable uh, expectations of causing with her actions. Exactly. But it is But also... But also, like, I mean, I would have actually found it more interesting if after the baby's gone, she's just like, oh, well, that takes care of that then. <laughs> like, like, if she was just, like, kind of cool with it at first, um, because now she doesn't have to deal with it, and she's like, well, I didn't expect that to actually happen, so it's not my fault, or trying to justify it, but then realize, like, oh, shit, I actually need to take care of this. Yeah, this and baby's not gonna rescue himself from a hell labyrinth. I, uh... Yeah. Uh, I I feel like that would have at least given that would have given me something to go on with this character, even if it's just that she's a selfish shit. I mean, I don't know how selfish she actually is compared with most people her age, because I remember it's pretty obnoxious being that age, because. Can't actually control your own life, and uh, depending on the parents, I don't know. Like she, I'm not saying she's irredeemable. She's annoying because of all we see is a reasonable demand, and her being an asshole about it. But oh, no, absolutely. I just I would have rather had her be like a worse person that's more developed than just this sort of blank slate that goes that's dropped into this magical world that's fair okay fair enough her main characterization at this point is saying things aren't fair, which I think she's done twice already at this point. Yeah. And she's complaining about the rain. It's not fair that it's raining. I don't know. That's it's right. That's right, yeah, because it rains right at the beginning when, before she runs home. So she complains that rain isn't fair. She wants what happens to be home. This is a nice ass home, by the way. But at eight minutes, the goblins show up to save the movie. Yeah. And 
now I kind of just constitute a bunch of weird Muffet faces. I, I like the scene a lot. I like that they're always there watching in a fairy tale world. And pretty much everything with the goblins is pretty solid, I think. Yep, I agree. When they're coming into the room and they're sort of scaring away right when she turns, it's legitimately pretty spooky. They have that one uh, little person in weird curl-up toe feet who's sort of like silhouetting at the door and then vanishes and turns around and stuff. Like, it's spooky. Yeah. I'm spooked. I'm all shook up. Um... And then Bowie just walks in in his street clothes. It's like I'm in this movie. Uh, <laughs> and enters the room like he enters every room. Uh, because he's kidnapped a baby. And she's like, don't kidnap the baby. And he's like, no take backsies. And he's, he's so fabulous, Tony. I can't, I can't get past it. I, I, I felt, un, I felt the opposite. I was, I was really looking forward to seeing him as the Goblin King and I mostly felt kind of underwhelmed actually. He's so fabulous. Like, I like his look. I think his look is perfect. Like, he comes in and he's just kind of weird but cool looking already. And then what he's wearing is just weird but cool and it fits. He's wearing ballet pants, and you can see <laughs> his whole dick. Yeah, he's just hanging out there the whole movie. Which uh, I, I think might be why this movie's cult classic. <laughs> uh, I think a lot more girls like it than boys, and I think there's a certain age which you're noticing things for the first time and that Bowie's what killed uh, you know the appeal of really masculine uh, lumberjack types which has not worked out well for me because <laughs> I do not look like Bowie. I am, in fact, a, a half-ton sea cow. <laughs> That's not the same thing. So just Fushigi juggling, or a stuntman does. 
Wait, what <laughs> kind of juggling? I think it's Fushi balls, are they called? Is that, the, the... is that where with one hand he's... Because, like, I remember that later at the movie. Later in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's just the that crystal ball contact juggling. It might not be called Fushi. That might just be a brand that sells them or something. But yes, contact ball juggling. I don't think it's actually him. I think it's probably someone else doing it because they have a lot of over-the-shoulder shots that wouldn't be necessary if he's doing it himself. But they're also bubbles that have visions in them because he's magic. And like... Then it just gets weird, because he teleports to a labyrinth land right off the bat. It's just sort of a quick cut back and forth, and the background changes, and they're there, and it's pretty cool. And he's basically a god. Like, he can do pretty much anything, it seems like. And it's on. Because she has to get to the center of the labyrinth in arbitrary amount of time. This really seemed to get counted later on anyway. Or he'll what? Turn into a goblin? Get eaten? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Toby, no, Toby will become a goblin. Did they say that, or is it just a. I believe so. I, I, I believe it's stated early on that... Like, I believe the implication is that all the goblins are children that have been stolen. Well, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. And then she has the line, Well, come on, feet. Which I like a lot, and I'm going to start using myself. <laughs> that does feel like a uh, a bend line. Like I can see you saying that. <laughs> um, feet. Like honestly, if you're like. Like, if you haven't watched Labyrinth since you were a kid but wanted to check it out, I honestly, I kind of recommend just starting at the point where she is at the Labyrinth and, like, skip the whole far first part of the movie assume they developed a character. <laughs> like, imagine your own character, if you will, and put her in their shoes, and you might enjoy the movie better. Because for me, it was really jarring when suddenly we're in the labyrinth. I was like, oh my god, this movie is wasting no time. I didn't even bother to develop anybody. 
Well, at that point, they kind of just do... The entire movie after that is just going from set piece to set piece. That's the, uh, like, the rest of the structure. There isn't really that much of a story structure. Nope. It's just very Alice in Wonderland. She goes to this place, she goes from encounter with a weird denizen of a weird place to encounter the weird denizen of a weird place. Picks up several along the way and eventually makes it. Uh, but the first one is she encounters Keith Richards peeing into a pond like he does. He starts gassing fairies to death while she wands about it. The fairies bite, so it's okay. Um, eventually he lets her in. They... And I do want to point out, because, like, that scene... This is the first part of the movie where I was like, oh, this, there's some cool stuff here because the uh, range of effects in different shots to sell you on, everything is really cool there. Like, in the regular shots where you have the guy in costume playing Hoggle, the dwarf goblin, and you have Jennifer Connelly there. There's little puppet fairies amongst the the rushes and stuff. And then after he sprays one, and when she goes to pick one up before it bites her, you actually see, you know, the, a close-up of the fairy as an actress in a costume laying on the ground looking up. And they even use, like, different color, different size rocks and stuff to make the ground that the actress was laying on look just like dirt. Like, it's actually a very convincing shot. You even have Jennifer Connelly's hands come into the picture. Like, it's a lot of different elements that make each scene work. It's, It's... I miss that kind of filmmaking. Like, I... Everybody dumps on CGI, and I know I do too, but like, I miss the tactile uh, look of things actually being on the screen, and I also miss the creativity of how you blend things, because that 
I feel like is what really sells it and also those limitations you don't get those crazy shots where it's like you're following two characters punching each other while they fall you know 300 feet it's it has to be more limited because they have to actually put the image on the screen and so I feel like you get much more convincing effects. Like, Labyrinth holds up a lot better than I would expect uh, a movie of its age. Well, the, the switch back and forth between a lot of different puppets and a lot of different effects very well. Like, the, yeah. the fairies example, but also there's that the dog Ambrosius, I think, which is basically her dog from back home, but ridden mm -hmm. around by Sir, uh, uh, or something? Sir Didibus? Or Sidibus? Sipidus first, but I think it's Sipidus. Um, but is sometimes a puppet and sometimes a dog with a. It, it's sometimes two puppets and sometimes it's a real dog with a relatively non moving puppet on its back. Mm, yeah. The cuts are pretty well hidden. So it's, I mean, it's, it's obvious what's going on, but it's still a, uh, uh, they don't do the awkward, like he goes behind a curtain and comes back out or something like that. They hide these things yeah. really well. But there's, she's in this very long hallway. There are super climbable roots and branches everywhere. <laughs> try to get onto the wall, which is the first thing I would do, and I feel like the first thing anyone would do, but maybe that's not true. She walks and then gives up after 20 seconds, saying that it goes on forever, and meets my favorite character in the movie, this one worm. Yeah! <sighs> Who's got like troll hair, like the troll doll's hair. And was it like a, a an Irish accent? What's his? I can't even. Tell. Oh, I couldn't place it. I mean, they all just had kind of general what I would call. We said Irish, but I so now it's gonna sound weird that I say they just all have Muppet accents. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> These exact, they're just these 
accents that are super exaggerated in one way or another. Uh, but yeah, I love that little worm. I thought that worm looked so cool. He kept inviting her and it's like, come meet the missus. <laughs> yeah. One, one of my favorite lines in the movie where she's just like, which way to the castle? It's like, oh, I don't know, I'm just a worm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's totally fair and accurate. It's a lie, because yeah. he apparently does, but... Yeah, because then she, he, she goes one way and he says something like, Oh, good thing she went that way. Otherwise, she would have gone straight to the castle. <laughs> like, yeah. You asshole. Who's <laughs> trying to protect her? But, uh... uh this movie makes excellent use of its map paintings sets and miniatures like if you were impressed by the that kind of work that went on in like Lord of the Rings this movie I think does it maybe just as well um, I mean, it's going for a much different tone and less realism, obviously, but, like, the amount of creativity, forced perspective, and stuff that they use in this is really impressive. Well, this is the part where... Well, there's the illusion wall, which is great. Like, she just walks into the wall, and it turns out it's not even, yeah. like, a CGI effect. It's just... It was filmed in such a way that it looks flat, and it's not. Yeah. Um, cut to this... This... Just traumatized child actor, surrounded by really gross... But great puppets. Right. And it was a music that. video. Oh, he's a puppeteer now, the guy who played the kid. No way! That's yeah. awesome. Uh he's he's Brian Froud's son. Brian Froud being the oh, guy who, he's a famous yeah. artist and he designed pretty much everything for this. Yeah. Uh, I'm subscribed to his Instagram, I think. It's pretty great. He's That's awesome. And his son is now, he's working on some horror movies and he just, he loves puppets. So I guess it worked out okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's really cool, then. Yeah. So her thinking, like, 
and the over-reliance on Bowie music, which I like in general, but isn't thematically appropriate most of the time, is pretty great. Speaking of, what does he do all day? Because it comes back to his throne room and he's just sitting around being the king of these, like, weird little guys he seems to find pretty obnoxious. Yeah. Does the song, because he's David Bowie and they have to, and like, he dances with a baby. I hate it. I hate it. Like, it's kind of ruined my image of Bowie. I just, you know, the the baby sound effects in that song, he did himself because they couldn't get the baby to coo on key. So that's all Bowie. Everything you hear is David Bowie's throat. I'm just saying it looks like if you succeeded Jareth and became the Goblin King, your life would be pretty boring and kind of gross. So I just hang out with these weirdos all day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I was reading that like some of the original script you well so the original script before Bowie was cast you you would meet the Goblin King but you wouldn't see the center of the castle until the very end of the story so all that's all those scenes where you see him with with the goblins and the baby wouldn't have been in the movie. I think it would have been a better movie. Yeah, because it, it would have let him keep some mystique, which he does yes. not have in this movie. Yeah, no. Okay, so... Weirdest dance scene... They do the logic game, which is still a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I, I, I recognize that. I'd seen that in other things. I didn't realize it. I don't know if it did come from this, or were they doing a famous thing? I think they were doing a famous thing. Um, okay. I I threw it at you during that one D&D game, and you guys botched it, if you remember. <laughs> uh, I vaguely do. I vaguely remember that. I also remember seeing it in Harmon Quest. Well, because you had asked, I think it was you, it might have been Garrett had asked one 
how many questions you had because you couldn't figure it out in just one, and he told you five because that was the one that was lying, and then you blew through like three of them, and then they clammed up because you only ever had three, and you were both really mad at me. But, like, you only needed one, so I don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) Which game was that? That was the, uh, that was the, the one that we each took one turn at and then stopped. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, cause it was it was Dalmas who who was questioning those guys. <laughs> Always goes well. <laughs> so I watched game. If you haven't seen it or don't remember it, it it's that basic one is always lying, one's always telling the truth thing. And apparently confuses a lot of people. I I just took the L set like a year ago and it's half logic game, so it makes a lot of sense to me because since one's always lying, since one's always telling the truth, if you ask one to describe what the other one's saying, there's going to be one lie in that no matter what. And that's basically just what she does. So she asks one if the other one would say this was the right door. And he says no, which means yes, because the one, if he... If she's talking once telling the truth, then he would be telling a lie because he's truthfully telling what the other one would say, who's the liar. And if the one she's talking to is the liar, he's telling a lie because he's lying about what the other one who's telling the truth would say. So you can work backwards from that. Um, it's pretty simple, but I remember it confused the shit out of me when I was like seven. <laughs> well, that leads to the best scene. Yeah, like I, I literally like had to stop the movie and go tell my roommate how awesome this one part of the movie was. It's the helping hands. They're the the finds the right door and then all of a sudden the floor drops out beneath her and she's falling through a pit that is just like covered in hands along the walls and they catch her and 
suddenly you hear a voice and it's the hands have made a face and the hands that make a mouth are talking and everywhere she looks hands come together several of them at a time to form a different face and the different combinations they come up with and the different voices that they have for each combination are really cool. Well, it's just, it's the Muppeteers being masterful at their craft without even a puppet. Like, these guys don't even need puppets. They need gloves that look kind of like stone. Yeah. And they can do this thing. It's so awesome. It's also the best minions. If I was a Goblin King, I would use the helping hands and no one else. I would get <laughs> rest very easily. I would be very clean in showers. They seem super handy. I would never need another elevator or escalator again. They're great. Uh, it's a very short scene that doesn't lead to much. I mean, it drops her in the oibleth, but oubliette, oubliette, but uh, which is French, the French term for dungeon. Um, yeah, it's a real thing, but uh, no, yeah. yeah. They even give her the option of, like, up or down. She chooses down. Who the shit chooses down? Yeah, that's pretty too. I was like, why? Like, the path is up above. She fell into a pit. She's like, well, I'm in a pit. I might as well go to the bottom of the pit. No, 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 no. Back up. And then Keith Richards comes in and saves her, which is the first of like four times that happens. Is that the part that leads to one of my other favorites? Um, so there's the helping hands, and then there's the false alarms. Is it that scene? No, that's a little bit later, I think. Okay. This is the one where he has the door he pulls out of a bag and he puts on the wall. And if he opens it the wrong way, it's a pantry. But if he opens it the right way, it's the way out. Alright. And then suddenly Bowie shows up and throws that, like, blender drill thing at them. Uh, that's a little bit later. So, so... Is it? So, in between the... the door that he makes 
which you're right about. In between that and the blender, that is the false alarms. They're going through. They're going through that rocky, these rocky caverns. Uh, oh right, right, right. Okay. And in the the oubliette, is that how you say it? Yeah. And there's all these faces carved in the rock that start talking to them going Turn around Go no further and She's like, I think we're going the wrong way and, and Hoggle? Haggle? Whatever the guy's horse name is Keith Richards He's like Keith Richards. He just says uh, they're false alarms. So they just ignore him. And then he tells like one of them to shut up. He's like, I'm just doing my job. <laughs> and then another's like, I don't get to say it very often, so Hoggle's like, okay, go ahead. She goes, turn back now. Thank you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty charming. It's, uh, honestly, it's like, you know, with Lord of the Rings, people want to go to uh, the Shire, like the one that's actually in New Zealand. I would love to have gotten to explore the sets they did for this movie. That would have been so fucking well, the I know one of the writers Monty Python worked in this movie. I don't remember which yes. one, but I bet that's his scene, cause it is exactly those guys. Yeah, yeah, totally. That well, leads them into a a tunnel, and that's when Bowie shows up. Right, and he just threatens Keith Richards and throws a drill thing at them. Uh, they escape and come up in a hedge maze uh, with an old wizard and his chicken hat. And I love them too. It's a great random thing to me. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about the guy. I was like, what? Yeah, because there's a lot of just, like, random encounters. And a lot of them don't really go anywhere. It does very much have that Alice in Wonderland feel of just, like, now there's this weird thing that she stumbled upon. 
yeah, this would be the the knight and the queen and the hedge maze in Palace Wonderland. But it ain't. And just goddamn great puppets. Like, the face the wizard has, I don't even know how many points of articulation. I mean, he's got the eyebrows and the rolling round eyes. And he, like, he's clearly a puppet, but he's... Conveys a whole bunch of expressions. Hoggle and the wizard in particular uh, impressed me a lot. Well, that's. So that actually leads to, for me, what is probably the best puppet slash costume, which is Ludo. Oh, yeah, Fuzzy Balrog. Yeah, well, to me, I, he, well, partly because the first time we see him, he's hanging. I thought he was hanging from a tree. He's actually hung up by his feet. But, so, my first impression of him, partly because of his shape and hair color, was like a giant ogre orangutan. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Yeah, like half snuffle up against half. Yeah. Yeah. I, he is, I think, one of the more convincing uh, puppets. Partly because I think he's actually made by a person. He's got to be. Maybe two people, honestly. Yeah. But, like, obviously you have puppeteers on the side controlling his face and stuff like that. But he, like, the costume, it looks so good. And whenever he's on screen, I feel like it elevates the movie just because it it looks like a real thing there. I'm like, that's very convincing. Um, he's also just adorable. And you'll find out later on in the movie that he can call rocks. He does this really like kind of beautiful call. He does it right then. Because he's being tormented by, like, and goblins with weird little... Yeah! Uh, chameleon fetus so things on the sticks. I didn't... So, watch, watching it again, I didn't realize until just now that that's what was happening. I just thought, like, oh, the labyrinth... Because the labyrinth seems to kind of have a mind of its own almost, like just the sort of uh, disembodied will of the Goblin King. And so I thought, oh, this is part, this part of the labyrinth, she's, it's got to give her rocks to throw at the guys. 
and but no, it's he's, yeah, which is really cool. I like that a lot. Um, and I think it's why, because I always get this guy mixed up with the rock biter from Neverending Story. I think it's just because they both have long arms, giant chins, and something through the rocks. And that's literally it. But we're liking the rock player. I I like Ludo so much better though. He's he's kind of my favorite thing. I actually like most of my love for this movie is the helping hands and Ludo. That's fair. There, well, I also like Sir Didymus a lot. Yeah, he was pretty cool. And Hoggle. I like most of it, honestly. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be parsimonious about it. Like, everything that doesn't actively not work is pretty great, I think. Yeah. There are a lot of parts that actively don't work, but, you know, whatever. But, like, the parts that do are just so cool to see. Yeah. Well, they... Of course they team up, because she kind of saves him. Hoggle's run away because he heard Ludo and he's a coward, I think. The doorknobs are also really well done. Or the knockers. Yeah. The door knockers. Just this golden, like, gargoyle faces with rings in them that are, of course, actually puppets. The textures, whatever they made the puppet out, is just super smooth. It looks like the metal's moving. It's great. Wow. Yeah. It's another fun. She just ha she has to be clever and figure out how to get past them. And there's the one that can't talk because the ring is in his mouth. The one that can't hear because it's in his ears. And... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, this movie, like, it's very clever in terms of its setup. It's like, it, it feels like someone took the best Dungeons & Dragons game ever, ever designed and turned it into a movie. And it's got about as much character development as I would expect uh, from that. But like the encounters, the challenges are a lot of fun. Well, it's just the main character's bland, but everything around her is pretty great. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it does give me more of a, a Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland sort of vibe, because Wizard of Oz is the same way. She meets these 
weird guys, and they come with her, and they deal with problems that aren't problems in the real world, but they know the rules so they can help, and then the end, you know. It's just instead of a lion and a, a robot and a scarecrow, you get the Keith Richards and Sasquatch guy and Sir Didymus, but it's the same kind of, here's an idea, meet it, and then they like you, and it goes with you, you know? Yeah. This is part where they get randomly separated because Luna just falls in a trap door and you never know what happened to him except he just comes back later. Yeah, that happens because a lot of the characters will just go, like, Hoggle will just go away for a while and come back numerous times. And he's only, at this point, he's only going with her because she stole all his stuff, right? Yeah, or... Uh, okay, I guess I thought she had given him stuff. Maybe I well, she, she gave him her plastic bracelet then he wasn't going to help her for as long as he promised to in exchange for it. So she stole his, like, string of coins or jewels or whatever. Ah, I got it. Okay. David Bowie shows up to intimidate. Intimidate? Intimidate Keith Richards more. But, uh, for some reason at this point he's beginning to feel some loyalty to her, and it's not. As an adult, it doesn't make any sense. It's way too fast, whatever. But, fair enough. It's a kid's movie and they're friends. These flamingo guys are still scary. I'm not even embarrassed I was scared from when I was a kid. Cause they're spooky. Oh, the... I see it. The, what, what are you, the ones that separate their body parts? Yeah. They're like, they're puppeteered by some guys in black suits on a black screen, and it's a little obvious. Mm. Uh, but they can pull their heads yeah. off and throw them around, and, like, they seem like chill guys. Their song is just about how everyone's bothering them, and they enjoy throwing the, like, you know, the big golf with their legs, and, uh, sorry, totally right. I'm sorry, I, I, I hadn't thought about, but as soon as you said it's guys in black suits on a green screen, or in green suits on a green screen, I, 
So that's probably why. That's because you can definitely see the green screen in effect here. And that's, that's the reason why. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, you hit it dead on, I think. Yeah, it's just that, like on stage, when you have guys dressed in all black who are hidden up against the curtains and move props in the background and stuff, it's just that technique. But with these guys... With that in mind, I, I am, I think, more forgiving of this scene actually because like watching it the first time you're just like why why are why do they all look like they're not actually there like they move very impressively like yeah it's a very they're they're their movements are very convincing it's just they're very clearly not in the actual what's being filmed. Yeah, it's uh, just an effect they don't quite have down yet. But even what they're trying to do. But they're spooky. They they pull their limbs up and play with them, and they try to pull her head off, and they don't seem to fathom that that won't work and then it gets <laughs> pretty actually scary because they get really insistent that she's running and they're like sort of skipping through the woods after it's spooky I'm spooked yeah. uh, it does lead to one of my favorite parts with them which is when she's climbing up the wall because Hoggle has come back and has thrown her a rope. As she's getting to the top, they're throwing their heads up and their ears are flapping like wings. So you see their heads rise up and then slowly descend as they're... Yeah basically harassing her, saying, come on, come back, we want your head. Because she, did she like kick one of their heads or something? She did something that they're like, well now we gotta do that to you. Yeah, she, she had pulled one's head off and thrown it when it was trying to pull her head off and they said she didn't she had taken someone else's turn or something. So they were going to pull her head off and throw it X distance. Because <laughs> uh, the whole thing was a game that she didn't know the rules to. But for like the second, maybe third time at this point, Keith Richards is there and helps her up a wall. And has he already been given the the roofy peach at this point, or is that later? I believe that's later. He just had that intimidating uh, encounter with uh, Gareth. 
the Goblin King. Right. Uh, he's saying, like, if, if she kisses him, he'll throw him in the bog or something. Oh, yeah, that sounds right, because then after the scene with the guys that take off their heads, she kisses him. Yeah, and he's begging her not to, and she does anyway, which is sexual assault. Um, <laughs> and they get banished to this butthole bog, which I love, cause it's just, it's a big swamp, but every rock coming out of it is a butthole. And they have actually made giant foam rubber buttholes, and they're all farting, and it's amazing. Yes. It's pretty, what are they, it's the... The bog of eternal stench, or the swamp of eternal stench? I think it's the bog. And if, if you touch any part of it, it'll never, it'll never wash off. That will smell forever. And that's the supernatural threat it contains. <laughs> uh, I do love... Uh, so the scene where they're on the edge of the labyrinth walls. I love just the design of the walls, the way the rocks, the bricks aren't all evenly shaped and they're like jutting and it's clearly this place that's kind of falling apart. The set design just has such a great look to it. It's beautiful. The whole thing's beautiful. Uh, it, it all seems... It's definitely a set. The only downside is everything seems pretty enclosed and small. Which is fine for the labyrinth, because you're going into, like, different rooms, different biomes, like it's a conservatory or something. Uh, yeah. They're never actually supposed to be out in a bog. They're in this part of the labyrinth, which is bog-like. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then Ludo is suddenly there again, helps them. This crazy kind of gross mangy fox thing. Uh, looks a lot like the crack fox from... Oh shit, what's that even called? The Mighty Boosh? Who is Sir Didymus, who rides around on a sheepdog. And is crazy. I didn't love him at first, but he grew on. 
You seem like a very Tony character. I thought you'd be one of your favorites. You know, it's it's funny because I I started having that same thought later on because he's very much Gilbert Chesterton. Like later on in the movie where he's surrounded. No, no, listen. No, he's Sir Gilbert, the character you based loosely on Fiddler's Green, who is based loosely in the Sandman off Gilbert Chesterton. Gilbert Chesterton does not act like your cartoon knight, which is the way Sir did in the sack. Uh, I, I think he kind of did a little bit. A little bit. Um, but fair enough. But yeah, no. Uh, my my uh, Dungeons and Dragons interpretation of Chesterton uh, is essentially Sir Didymus. The later on when they're sur- when he's surrounded, he's like, ah, I've got you surrounded. Oh, there's just a lot of things where he thinks he has the upper hand when he's clearly about to die. Yeah, he's just the the super valiant clown knight who thinks he's doing great. Yes. And is very dedicated to the, the, the personality he's putting out there. And very valorous and very chivalrous and stuff. But completely useless and doesn't realize it uh, is the main kind of refrain of the character because he fights Ludo for like a minute but can't hurt him at all begins to irritate Ludo so much that Ludo's gonna crush him and then declares they fought to stand still and he's gonna let them cross the river or no, that he can't let them cross the river because he's sworn not to let anyone cross the river without his permission. So she just asks him for permission. He realizes he can just say yes, and that's the entire riddle. Yeah, not, not all of them are, uh, not, not all the challenges that exciting. That was one I was like, yeah, it was kind of cute. It felt like they were, before I realized he was going to be a character, I just was like, you're just throwing another thing in there? I was a little, I wouldn't say worn out, but just like, Getting fatigued by just how often I uh, come up. A little bit. Not necessarily that it's uh I was a little fatigued by the lack of actual story. 
one character that was just literally jumping from one challenge to the next and they don't really lead to anything it's mostly just like now there's this now there's this and then this character there's this character and then there's this happening and then suddenly they f like suddenly they fall through a pit and then this character's back that was the part I was a little fatigued by because this movie's kind of frustrating because so many parts of it are, are like legitimately brilliant and just so well executed that like this could very well be one of my favorite movies if it was a movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, there is no storyline. Uh, yeah. It's, it's main drawback, I think. He never pretended it was going to have one, so I don't mind as much as otherwise would, but it definitely doesn't ever come up. But the bridge doesn't work, but Ludo is an earthbender, so he can call the rocks but they're still the bog of rocks, so every time someone steps on one, they fart, which is, again, really fine to me. Yeah, that part was really cool. That was the first time I think we actually heard him. I forget, when he was hanging upside down and calling Little Rocks, did we actually hear him calling them? Uh, well, he's, he's making noises, and he never oh, yeah. actually says anything, so it might have been howling for them, whatever. Because when he, when he calls the rocks to get across the bog it's like the sound design on it I remember was just really cool it's like whoa Ludo for a moment had this sort of majestic quality like this um, fey creature I don't know it's very cool um, and then he gets summoned rocks. I thought that was great. <laughs> but there were still the butt rocks, which was hilarious. So it was, it was really cool and interesting, but also funny. And I liked it a lot. Yeah, well, just when the dog runs across them and there's the however many fart noises rapid succession because it's got four legs I did crack up a lot uh, that worked on me as a kid it still did which I'm a little embarrassed by but it's great 
then suddenly they're in an ice forest. And this is, I think, the, what follows might be the best part of the movie. But everyone's hungry all of a sudden. For no discernible reason, yeah. I mean, she's been traveling for a long time. Do they, I don't think they mention it. I think he just offers her the peach and she's like, fuck yeah, I am hungry. Right? That was, that was what I remember. Yeah, but like, so is Ludo and so is Sir Didymus, even though Sir Didymus has only been with them for like a minute at this point. Uh, it's just very odd and very sudden, but Hoggle has a roofie peach that Jareth gave him. Uh, and this isn't the super cool part, cause it's just some weird thing where like she eats it and she does the Snow White thing and she passes out. Uh, and then they have this weird eyes wide shut, like, uh, Phantom of the Opera looking masquerade ball hallucination. Yeah. Uh, with her and David Bowie, and it's kind of whatever. But the junkyard part is great. Okay, I was wondering what you were getting to because I did not. Like, I liked the whole bubble thing and how that ties to. Spyglass. I thought that was neat, but I didn't really care for the scene where she's at the ball. I was like, okay, this is a neat idea, but like, there wasn't, there weren't really, like, there were colorful costumes, but not like puppets and stuff, which is what I want to see. But the junkyard lady is pretty rad. Well, and just the whole, the, the ace author kind of hitting us over the head with, but she... Junkyard lady, she's like some sort of weird turtle snail thing with just a pile of garbage on her back. Really creepy looking, really well done, I think. But she has... Uh, what, Sarah's entire room there, where she can go into it and then just sort of pretend the whole thing was a dream, and she's drugged so she doesn't have any memory, right? She's like trying to pull it together, and then starts literally weighing her down with junk that she loves. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, but like, you remember your shoes, right? You love your shoes, you love your teddy bear, you love, remember this thing, remember this thing? Um, and it's just a really 
kind of terrifying, kind of brilliant uh, analogy for having too much stuff that you're attached to. I mean, it's not even an analogy, it's just, it's right on the nose, but it's well done. It's, uh, because one of the things I, well, I was just going to say, one of the things I really liked about that scene, too, was, because you have the one, the interaction with just the one garbage lady. But if you're paying attention, you can see, like, three or four of them in the background moving. And so it's just like, you have this matte painting of this dark sky, and you can see in the distance the piles of garbage and junk, and you can just see among of these little, little bobbing, uh, not heads, just like piles of chunk. That's just like, so there's just all these little junk trolls out there, which I thought was really cool. I like that a lot. You get the impression it's entirely like nomadic tribe of, of hoarders, basically. And then she's having to very overtly, very physically sort of throw off all the trappings of childhood to be an actual functional person who can go forth and get things done. Uh, and it's really well done. Um, eventually she, what, hurls away from her and cracks out of the house and it's it's great. It's great. Uh, it's kind of haunting. It's just it's the best scene in the movie I think. It, it's the most on the nose what the whole thing's about. The metaphor gets across much more clearly than it has been the whole time. And uh, having grown up with some kind of light hoarders, uh, not like so bad that you can't move around or they call themselves collectors and they're clearly not or anything, but just uh, having too much stuff that serves no actual purpose but might be useful sometimes and still kind of having some of those tendencies myself, it was really well done. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. And just the way that sort of old grandmother voice sort of like, well, you love your dolly, don't you? And your shoes, you remember your shoes on your trophy. You love your trophy and just the the repeated assertion, like, you love this, you love this, you love this, and she's getting buried and can't move. It's very good. Yeah. And then they so, get the wall golem thing. 
which was not the one of the best puppets, but it was still really cool. I mean, it's a it's a puppet piloting a giant robot. It it yeah. It, doesn't look smooth because it's a big clanky robot thing. Yeah. But I still thought that was pretty rad. Uh, Keith Richards saves them again. How does he do that? I don't remember that. He's the one who climbs oh, up and pulls right. yeah, the yeah. pilot he out. Jumps. Yeah. Which was pretty and she forgives uh, him, and they're all friends again. And, but the entire conflict between them lasted about four minutes, so it's not super, uh, payoffy. Not much is. Um, even the well done scene with her and the old lady is just like, Okay, and now we move on. We keep going. The character isn't changed for having... for having moved past the stuff that hangs her up. Uh, in any significant way. I mean... Not that you necessarily need that, but it's just like... Literally every part of the movie is just moving on to the next part of the movie. Yep. Like, you could kind of rearrange a lot of the scenes and not lose much. Yeah, I mean, you can, frankly, you can just skip from the beginning to the end and not lose anything plot-wise, but it's not about plot, it's about... Yeah. Different encounters, snowballing and picking up characters and whatnot. The, the spooky goblin town, actually pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I really love that set. Suddenly Bowie's threatened, I'm not sure why. She's gotten this far. Yeah, and, and dispatches the Goblin Army, and it's already a better Goblin Army than the Battle of the Five Armies Goblin Army. <laughs> a more uh, realistic on, and B more threatening. On that note, I, I legitimately wonder... Well, it's funny now that you said that the guy who is the baby in this actually works for Weta, because I definitely had some flashbacks to Return of the King during the Goblin Army, because they're just like these short little guys with these oversized helmets with these big noses on them that distinctly look like Frodo and Sam when they're in orc disguise. Oh yeah, huh? It's 
Yes, like, I, I, I was like, oh my god, you guys all look like Frodo and Sam here. Or Frodo and Sam look like you. More accurately, but... Uh, I had picked up that. So, good call. This it's pretty much the same thing. It's kind of neat. But they, they uh, have a humorous little... This part reminds more of Gremlins than anything so far in this movie. Because the goblins are all just kind of crazy and shooting each other out of cannons and chasing around on little joust bird from the video game joust mounts. That's the whole thing. <laughs> it's... Uh, it... It does lead to one of my favorite little bits, which is where they decide they need to get inside, and uh, Keith Richards says, well, how is Ludo gonna come in? Because he can't fit through the door. Yeah. And he literally just rips the wall and like pulls it aside and then closes it behind him. Ludo's no, the best! It's fantastic. Uh, but it, it's a weird, like, they they do the, the humorous running back and forth and trying to escape for everything for a little while, except for Sir Didymus, who fights them all unsuccessfully, but he thinks very successfully. Uh, until Ludo calls a bunch of rocks and solves everything, because of course that would work. Uh, yeah, that, that bit was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, and it's just Although another humorous I... chase scene because it's just foam rubber rocks rolling through <laughs> the city while the goblins run from them. There's some, there's some cool effect stuff where they play it backwards and forwards so you can have like a rock go up a hill it's clearly like they it ran down the hill and then they played it backwards but it's cut with someone running normally so it looks it looks pretty seamless there's some good effects and just creative stuff they did with that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's... Again, it's, it's pretty seamless for what it is. Like, it's clearly puppets, and it's clearly not real rocks, and it's clearly miniatures and all that, but then... It, 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 it's just... They did everything right within that framework, like, it looks yeah. silly, but not cheap, you know? 
Yes. Yeah. And from here on, it, it moves pretty fast, right? Like, it's, I don't even know how many minutes off the movie, but everything seems to be rolling along in a really kind of breakneck pace at this point, because they go into the castle. Very first thing, she leaves her friends behind, even though, like, being less of a loner seemed like the big lesson she was learning, so whatever. And gets into this MC Escher stairway. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is the perfect middle to a uh, supernatural labyrinth. And would have worked a lot better, I think, if more of Labyrinth had been Labyrinth. Because at first yeah. it's all optical illusions and walls, and it makes a lot of sense that it would do that. You know, tiles relocating themselves and stuff. And then it gets into random patches of swamp and random patches of forest and then a town then comes back to this which is much more in line with what was going on at first so I like it a lot but they kind of lost the thread in the middle as far as I'm concerned yeah yeah I agree uh, but she has to chase after the baby while David Bowie does another song, at some yeah. point, it's not a bad song, but it's, it's actually, uh, no buts, it, it would have more impact to me if they hadn't sort of oversaturated Bowie's songs earlier. Yeah. Because there's this one and the dance, magic dance one, and that's all that I feel like you should have if you're going to do songs in it. Uh, I could even just, just do this one. This one I didn't mind. I just already was not... And I don't want, I don't feel like the songs are that good, to be honest. They're but not again, his best. They're pretty sing, good. singing them, so that makes them passable, but... I don't know. The scene was cool because of the set. David Bowie walking off the ledge and then underneath it was really cool. Like there's there's a lot of visually cool stuff in this scene. Yeah, they're just they're stitching together a bunch of just different shots. But it's really well done. So there's she's chasing the baby which is on the wall above her and then across the way hanging from the ceiling but actually hanging just walking because gravity is all funky yeah uh, and it totally works I 
that at some point she almost reaches it. Him. The baby's a him. And it all blows apart suddenly. And Billy has another outfit change. And this is where it sort of just gets weirder to me. Yeah, the the actual end made not a lot of sense to me. Cause she she remembers the last line of the play. And I guess the whole thing was that play, which I don't think is real play. Like, Labyrinth isn't based yeah. on some classic tale or anything. Yeah. It's a play made up for the movie. And the last line is that the Goblin King doesn't have any power over her. So she just says that and suddenly he doesn't. I guess, but then he still has the power to whisk her away back to her world and stuff and turn to owls and whatnot. Yeah. And I don't know why saying that beat him and she never really outsmarted him or anything. She just remembered that he was never as strong as he clearly was, because he could do all these things. Yeah. Well, also, it's like, it's like, okay, well, even if he has no power over you, it's like, well, he's got the child. Like, I I don't know, because the whole point of the movie is that she has to escape him. I mean, that's, she does eventually, but the point of the movie is she's got to get the, her brother back. So when she's like, you have no power over him, like, but that's, that's not totally the relevant point here. When I feel you chose to. Like, it would have been. It would have made more sense to me if it turned out like everything was an illusion or something and she sees through that for the first time or. whatever. But it seems like it just suddenly transforms to powerless, even though he clearly wasn't. Or, you know yeah uh, and it makes not a lot of sense to me yeah I'm with you but that happens she gets teleported back gives her teddy bear away which is what she's so upset about in the beginning of the movie that the baby had like moved it or something but gives it to the baby because it's a child's teddy bear and she doesn't need it anymore. And the last time she saw it, she remembered that it was junk because it was in that really good scene of being weighed down by too many 
sentimental, never actually going to use them things. And then the metaphor gets a little bit lost on me. She starts throwing out all her pictures, acting actually kind of alarming, like... I think that's usually a sign of pretty severe depression when you start giving away all your treasured things and throwing away <laughs> all the things that used to mean stuff yeah. to you. Like, that's a red flag, except they clearly don't mean it as such. And then... Well, there's also... So... Because she only gives away the one thing, right? The, the bear that somehow had been given to her brother. Yeah, that's the only thing she gives away, but then she starts, she goes to her mirror and immediately starts, like, tearing down the photos that she had there. Oh, okay, right, right, yeah. Because uh, those are also childish things, maybe, but it's, I mean, it's not actually worrisome, it's just that's, that's a strange way to show that she's learned her lesson. Like, well now I don't care about anything except my little brother. Like, cool. I get that's what they're going for, it's just a weird visualization of it. It's a nitpick, it's, it, it's just a, uh, yeah. Like, those are, those are signs that someone's severely depressed, uh, if you actually see someone doing that all of a sudden, so watch for those. Well, that, that sort of fits with just, cause the sort of message or point of the movie at the end gets a little lost in itself because then in the mirror she sees Ludo who's just fantastic and then Sir Didymus and then Keith Richards yeah, it's, and I know what they're going for is that the, there's always going to be a time when you need to be imaginative as an adult and escaping fantasy and whatnot is, I think, what they're going for. Yeah, but well, she'll kind of buried because all she says is, but I, I will always need you guys at some point. And these aren't, like, childhood fantasies she's had for a long time. Like, she met all these guys in the last hour. Sort of. Because if you pay attention at the beginning of the movie, pretty much everything she meets in the labyrinth uh, has some representation in her room. Well, I saw the book end to look like Hoggle. 
but that's oh, I missed that was. Literally, we open a shot on like this stuffed animal that's basically one of the fireys. Oh. Like it's legitimately one of them. There's an MC Etcher uh, poster in the background, basically, of just that one scene with Bowie. There's a few others I noticed. Uh, I don't totally remember them, but they, they definitely had representations and they lingered on a few of them. Some of the junk that the junk lady brings to her, you can actually see in the room at the beginning. It like pans across it. But I feel like the whole message of like, well, I've grown past this stuff now but I will need it from time to time is a little bit like you had it when you know she sees them in the mirror she's like but I'll still need you from time to time they're like oh okay and that's a good good place for them to disappear and for the movie to end because she's grown but she's not totally turned away from she is but then she's like but I need you now and she just full on dives into her stuff so it's like I learned my lesson I don't need all this stuff but I'm gonna party with my stuff and it's like really learn you don't need it then? Uh, like, I get because they wanted to leave off on this exciting, fun, like, yeah, now we're all partying with the goblins uh, ending. I, I get that. Uh, and it's still very fun and cool. It's just that the ultimate whatever can be called the arc of the character is a little bit lost in that. Yeah, I'm with you. It, uh, it does give us an ensemble ending, which I always really like. Because they're just fun. Uh, I like whenever the entire cast shows up at the end of anything. I don't know why it's a weakness I have, but... Including uh, Return of the Jedi? Yes. Oh. Especially including, like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, or, uh... I mean, I think the main problem with Return of the Jedi is they didn't justify it very well because I frankly would have liked it better if at that last shot everyone just straight bowed like we've made this thing for you and just 
It's okay, it's ending. You can take us out food for a minute. But I really like that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know why. Especially if I've been playing characters for like a long time. I also yeah. kind of dig the, like, the way Lord of the Rings and it was an ensemble thing, but then it had, like, the, the sketches of all the characters. I just like that stuff. I don't know. It's, it's... Yeah, I get that. I get that. But that doesn't mean that this metaphor worked. Yeah, no, and then that's sort of the, that's sort of the, the, the thing with this movie is it's like, if you want to see some really inventive, imaginative, very clever, uh, like, costume set, puppet design, just film artistry, like, this movie has it in spades. It's incredibly impressive and holds up pretty well overall in terms of that. Uh, but in terms of an engaging story, it never really hits that. I'm not sure it even really tries for that. Um, it definitely does. It, it, so it was sad when I read what you were saying earlier about how this is the last movie that Jim Henson directed. Uh, maybe his first, I'm not sure. But he like, did Dark Crystal also. Oh, right. But he was, like, depressed after it because, you know, they sunk in so much money and stuff, and then it was not critically panned by any means. It was, uh, I think, a mixed reception, but definitely did not make, I don't even think it made, like, would you say like less than half of what they spent on it? Uh, about half. About half. So it's like it, it seems like they put a lot of thought like and that's the thing is clearly a ton of thought and creativity went into this movie like it is plain to see but so much went into the developing the actual labyrinth itself that the characters and the story element got shortchanged so it's disappointing because yeah. it's like I honestly so want to love and root for this movie. Like, it, there's so many parts where I'm just like, this is amazing. Like, this could 
legitimately be one of my favorites. But I... I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Like, it's the kind of thing that, like, I can at any point go on YouTube and look up a scene and sit through the scene. You know what I mean? Because, like, whatever scene I pick, I, I land on, is gonna be really cool and have a lot of awesome stuff in it. But I don't know if I ever want to watch the movie like beginning to end again. Yeah, it's a. I mean, I, I'm sure I will at some point. But it's supposed to just a. I don't have too many jokes about it. Like, it kind of just is what it is. Uh, I will say on the Jim Henson front. He was apparently really depressed about it, according to interviews with his son, but he did live long enough to see it sort of gain a cult following get popular again. Yeah, it's true. So it did, it did kind of quash his, his Hollywood aspirations, which is too bad. But, he didn't, like, die thinking he was a failure or anything, which... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he also still did stuff in film after this, obviously, but... Yeah, so as a, as a director, uh... I don't think. But... I don't have too many funny thoughts on it. It kind of just, I... It has a special place in my heart, even though it's probably not actually that good. But what it does well, it does very well. And my favorite scenes from it, or still my favorite scenes from it, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I would recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I don't know if I'd recommend it as a, like, I vouch for this product all the way through sort of thing. But I definitely think you should watch it if you haven't watched it anyone still listening who hasn't seen see, it already see I'd be a little bit more like I, I wouldn't just recommend it outright like I would recommend it to specific individuals ones that are more interested in or they're just like super into fantasy or anyone that's really interested in like old school puppetry and sets and practical effects versus like CGI like if that's something that you're passionate about or miss some of that old school filmmaking techniques this movie does it really well and 
and all those things you really need to see. But if you're just looking, if we're just talking about like recommending a movie, like, oh, it's a good movie, like, I don't know if I'd recommend it. I wouldn't say don't watch it, like, nah, it sucks, or anything like that. Like, it definitely doesn't suck, it just, it's really frustratingly, like, part of it is really strong and part of it is really weak. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's for kids, um, it's for kids in that old way where they weren't afraid of scaring kids, which they seem to be now. Uh, like, it's not for kids the way, like, uh, uh, Frozen is for kids. It's for kids the way, like, 80s kids movies were for kids where it actually tries to frighten them sometimes and then tries to teach them lessons. And I think it was pretty good at that, from what I recall. As an adult, it's interesting. And I was like, oh, I'll say this, like, even the parts I didn't like, I was never bored. Um, it, it, it moves along pretty quickly, it changes enough that if I hate a scene, it's over very quickly, and it's on to something yeah. else, uh, that's, even if I still don't like the new one, it's different, and I'm learning about it. I, I feel confident in promising that you won't be bored if you watch the movie you haven't seen before. I don't know if you'll like it, but watch it. And I like it. Although I can see the validity of literally every complaint against it. <laughs> so, um, is where I'm and I love Poe and I miss him, he's great. And I don't know how many sexual awakenings he was responsible for with this role specifically, but I know of at least three anecdotally. So, you know, gird yourself. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to add. It's a very uh, split movie for me. Like, I actually was kind of, kind of excited to talk about it because I haven't been this split by a movie in a while. What was the last time? Can you think of what? 
Not, not off the top of... Uh, okay. Well, uh, unpopular opinion, but I guess not that long ago, but, uh, Black Panther and Infinity War. Uh, I guess the last two Marvel movies to come out, I, I was... I really liked about half of them, and I really didn't the other half. Sorry, you liked half of each of those movies and not the... So, like this one, is in you, you have pieces you like a lot, pieces you dislike a lot? Yeah. And not like I like the first half and not the second, but just like... Roughly 50% of the movies, those movies I really enjoyed, and the other I didn't really care for. Like with Black Panther in particular, like I really liked all the character stuff, but the action stuff just felt like I'd seen it too many times. It was kind of uh, the opposite of this movie. Labyrinth, all the creative, like, visual stuff that's just visual was very neat and exciting, whereas the character stuff was dead. Okay, yeah. I can see that. It's got, um... Well, there's... Uh... There's a whole genre of movies that are sort of like this, like Never Ending Story, I keep coming back to, because it's another one where, like, there's, it has much more of a plot, but it's also about a kid coming to terms with things through his imagination where the kid himself isn't nearly as compelling as the, like, costumes and puppets around him. Um, I feel like Legend was the same way, the Tom Cruise movie, but it's been a long yeah. time since I saw that. That's one I've been curious to rewatch because I remember seeing that one for the first time when I was like in high school and thinking kind of similar to this and similar to um, Never Ending Story. Like I really liked the visual stuff. I didn't really care for the movie itself. Yeah, so it's, it's, we should watch that one too, by the way. Yeah, that would be different. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's, it's nothing like Dark Crystal, which is weird, because Henson's other movie was proximate to this, like, the visuals are a little similar, but that one was, I think almost two plot. This one had almost none. It was all about visuals. I like them both for different reasons. I like this one a lot better. I thought this episode would be funnier, but it's kind of just like 
This is a cultural artifact. Um, it's, I think it's art, but art is something you can like or dislike. But it's definitely going for a certain aesthetic that I haven't seen anywhere else. And, uh, I don't have as many jokes as I thought. It's kind of just a big piece of culture. <laughs> recently relocate and I don't know how much free time I'm gonna have relative to before uh, if I'm gonna wind up missing entire months I'll switch the patreon over to a per project as opposed to per month thing but hopefully I won't have to but stay tuned, and I apologize if the next one's late or missing or whatnot. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to get a pretty advanced degree, and I don't know how much work it's going to take. But until next time, uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Tony. And we've been the Matinee Manatees. you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matinee manatees. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, the Stitcher app, or on YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and hundreds of others on his website in competech.com. Thanks for listening.